Welcome everyone, my name is Shannon Brown, I'm a senior analyst at Standards Australia and your host of the Sets of Standard podcast, a podcast where we speak to industry experts about current and emerging industries and technologies to better understand the role of standards in benefiting the Australian community. In the last 12 months, the release of generative artificial intelligent models such as ChatGPT has created incredible fanfare and interest in AI systems as individuals, companies and governments rush to capitalise on their benefits. The large uptake of these systems has raised concerns around the clean data, bias and trustworthiness and how these systems can be implemented in a safe and reliable way. In March 2023, Standards Australia joined the Responsible AI Network as a knowledge partner, seeking to address these concerns by providing workshops, resources and tools to help businesses understand standards and how they can uplift responsible AI outcomes. Today we explore why standards are important for AI, unpacking some of the key standards that touch on concepts, terminology and governance, along with how they are implemented. Our conversation also touches on the collaboration of the Responsible AI Network and Standards Australia's AI Committee, demonstrating the importance of collaboration in uplifting responsible AI outcomes. Before we delve into this really important discussion, I'd like to introduce the guests that will be joining us here today on the podcast. Firstly, joining us today is Ali Akbury. Ali holds a PhD from Tokyo Institute of Technology, specializing in computer vision and LLP. Currently leading AI assurance in transport for New South Wales, he has 20 years of experience in delivering successful AI solutions for market leaders such as KPMG, Department of Home Affairs, Kansai Airport and Commonwealth Bank. Actively advocating AI ethics, Ali also represents AICD on the National AI Committee of Standards Australia. I'm also joined by Soraya Selinger. Soraya is the Strategic Initiatives Manager at Standards Australia, who leads the critical and emerging technology patch. She leads the work within AI, including our partnerships with the Responsible AI Network, as well as key focus areas such as 5G, cybersecurity, plus more. We're also joined by Lyria Bennett-Moses. Lyria is the Director of the UNSW Allen's Hope for Technology, Law and Innovation and Associate Dean of Research in the Facility of Law and Justice at UNSW Sydney. She also sits on the Standards Australia Committee for AI Standards IT043. And finally, we're joined by Judy Slater. Judy is the chair of the New South Wales Net Zero Emissions and Clean Energy Board and of the Carbon PTY Limited. Judy is also the lead for the CSIRO's National AI Think Tank and advisor to Data61, as well as a non-executive director of Gigacom PTY Limited, WWF Australia and Talent Beyond Boundaries. Previously, Judy was the CEO of the Australian Red Cross. Prior to that, the Chief Operating Officer of the World Wildlife Fund. And prior to this, the CEO of Lonely Planet. I know we've had a previous discussion, but thank you all again for joining us on the Set the Standard podcast. So probably many of our listeners are wondering why we're having this conversation, probably wondering where standards play a role in the AI ecosystem. So I guess to set context for a very crucial conversation for the future deployment, the safe future deployment of AI, can you all provide us with, in your own perspective, what an unstandardized and unregulated AI world would look like? I think we've got to be very careful when we use words like unstandardized and unregulated. The world is not unregulated. So even before 
we start asking, do we need new laws for AI, even before we start talking about what's been done by Standards Australia and the ISO in terms of standards for artificial intelligence, we need to recognise that we actually are in a world with law, with regulation and with standards. What is missing is the specific thinking Mm -hmm. around do do the pre-existing laws, regulation, standards apply optimally in this new context. And so a lot of the time, just taking the standards as an example, when developing AI standards, there are some quite general things that will be seen in many different standards that get pulled into standards specifically for AI, sometimes with a little bit of a tweak or a slightly different, you know, additional point F in a paragraph in addition to A to E. But it's not like we're starting from zero. And that's really important in particular when you think about law and regulation that, you know, we're not starting from zero here. To give an example, we talk a lot about bias in the context of artificial intelligence. Organizations still have to comply with discrimination law. That law might not be optimally written for some of the new practices we're seeing, but it's not a blank slate either. Well, that's a great answer. Thank you. Ali? I'm a technologist coming from industry. And what I see there, at least I can say two challenges can be there. One is, um, I think people, they want to do the good thing. But what does good look like? That is a challenge in this sort of very rapid changing area of AI. So although they try to do the right thing, but they need to do try and error. And that causes a lot of failures, unwanted failures. If there are standards that will help a lot in order to reduce this sort of wasted efforts and, you know, unwanted outcomes. The other thing that I can see is matter of reduced trust. When there are no standards which are specifically targeting AI, which is something new and nobody is completely sure about it, especially, I mean, I'm talking about the society in the market. When there is no standards, then they don't know who and where to trust and what is the right level. And that reduces the trust, reduced trust causes reduced adoption. And basically that initial target that we have, we want to bring this new technology and leverage the benefits of it, but we cannot achieve the, the main goal. And Soraya, is that something you see quite similar or a different view in terms of an, an unstandardized, unregulated AI world? When I think about this question, there's two ways to approach it. The gut instinct is to think about the chaotic dystopian AI future, which a lot of public sentiment naturally gears towards. But actually, Lyria touched on a fantastic point to open the discussion by saying that actually there's there's a lot of regulation already in existence. We're just talking about a very specific channel and a very specific part of that space. Standards, for lack of a better term, are soft law. They're voluntary, they're consensus-driven, they are documents which effectively create those support and guardrails for society and for business and stakeholders and government to create that that set of, it's a framework to really help people know what to do. And I think with any fast-moving technology, AI being no different, you get the good and the bad and it's really, really important that we focus on finding a way to protect and create safety and standardize without stifling innovation. And when I think about AI being new, it's not that new. My immediate thing is, and I was looking at this this morning, Stanley Kubrick, 1968, 2001 Space Odyssey, 
Hal opened the, the pod bay doors. That was 1968. This is not new technology. It's just the way it's stepping into society is new. So those regulations are in place. It's just about understanding how standards can fit in. Judy? I agree with uh, my peers <laughs> on this call in all of the statements made. So I, I, I'm coming at it from, I run part of small businesses, small to medium enterprises. And so we, we are constantly, as all are, looking for ways to deliver better customer outcomes, to delight customers, yeah. to grow, to attract investments, to attract talent. All of these things are really important everyday considerations. And so when I start to look at artificial intelligence, which we have done and yeah. started to do, or when I look at my friends and colleagues in other businesses, there's plenty out there already that it nests in. So through from you know family values through to beliefs, through to existing laws, exactly as was mentioned earlier, that's the sort of thing I need to be able to to build on to nest in terms of what I develop in my business. Equally, though, uh, the thing that I'm challenged by is what is unique about artificial intelligence? What are the extra pieces that I should understand? In deploying these technologies, yeah. how might it be different in from other technologies uh, that are deployed? Equally, I need to be able to answer questions from investors about their thoughts on how we may or may not be deploying artificial intelligence yeah. or talent or stakeholders. So to me, there's a big part of having regulations yeah. that actually helps with the guardrails to help me navigate those questions. But the second thing is stepping back from businesses and my businesses or those I'm involved in is if we want to maximise investment in artificial intelligence used in good ways, yeah. if we want to maximise the talent, if we want to maximise trade, if we want all of these things as a country to be competitive, I think having a good set of complements mm -hmm. to laws that exist or to allow companies to navigate specific AI challenges is really important. And you talked about, you know, maximising the benefit and you know, we, we hear so often how the chaos and, you know, in terms of there's a lot of concern around the world about the potential catastrophic impacts of AI, which can be quite terrifying if, you know, if it's, if it's an ongoing thing that people are talking about. Lyria, in terms of the benefits, can you comment on, like on the flip side, the benefits and opportunities that some of these AI systems can, can provide? I mean, that that's a very long list and a long story, right? I mean, yeah. there's lots of different applications of these kinds of tools that can be really beneficial. I mean, we can understand data better than, you know, a human mind would be able to grasp patterns in data, right? So you can use these kinds of tools to understand quite complex relationships that can help with things like policy development, that can help with things like, you know, rapid decision making that needs to be done. We can think about, you know, the applications, you know, that we've seen quite recently with generative AI, right? This yep. idea that it can help people be creative in new ways. You know, people who can't paint themselves can conceive of artworks and see them realized on a screen, right? Even if they're not, you know, they're handshakes yes. and they can't actually physically, you know, create that the work that they can imagine. You know, many things. I don't know if it's possible to give a kind of comprehensive list yeah. of all the benefits. In terms of, you know, what is the scope of what it does and what is AI? I mean, that's something that standards has actually been dealing with. So one of the standards that was developed 22989 was really about 
the concept. So what is artificial intelligence? How does this differ from other things? And also what are the different kinds of applications of this technology? So a lot of that in use cases and so forth is, is, is being set out there, but we don't know. And this is on both sides, right? The benefits and, and the, the flip side. We actually, you know, we could come up with a list now of what we see as the benefits it's already having or what might be on the horizon, but we're still learning what different kinds of uses it might be put to that would be beneficial. And I should say beneficial is also a loaded word. Yeah. <laughs> beneficial according to whom um, yes. is, is a really yeah. important question as well. One thing I can add is those beneficial users of AI are all around us already. So it's good to give a couple of examples that you're using already. For example, using computer vision, when you're entering to Australia, you see there are those smart gates. So it reduces a lot of the burden of staying in that, those long lines, increasing a lot of efficiency. Or for example, we have all of these spam filters. If you have a look at your email spam folder, you see how many emails are getting automatically filtered out and reduces a lot of burden from you day to day. Mm. So this is based on natural language processing. Which links back to the benefit for whom, right? So if you think about automated gates at airports, maybe makes the queues faster. There's still a huge weight um, in most airports at the moment, but let's assume it makes things more efficient, but also potentially reduces jobs in that sector for humans who might have otherwise worked on that kind of screening. Um, it can also recognise people differentially, so it can be better at certain kinds of faces than others, which means certain kinds of people are kind of pulled out into a line-type process, whereas others get to go through smoothly and, and there's sort of fairness issues there. It's hard to think of an application that is benefits all benefits, you know, all and certainly that benefits all equally. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. So, for example, we have these voice recognition system in our mobile phones and we are using it every day, day to day. Seems to be the, the least thing that can cause a bias or discrimination or difficulties. But actually, yes, there are a lot of people who might not be able to easily use this this sort of technology because it's not built specifically for them and considering that cohort of people in mind. What I get most excited about with artificial intelligence systems is the potential to solve some of our biggest challenges as a nation mm -hmm. and some of the world's biggest challenges. So when you can find a way to use robots and imaging to reduce the use of fertilizer by 95%, yeah. It's just a massive benefit that no other technology could achieve. Similarly, obviously, cancer detection, those sort of things. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I, my main focus is, and I'm pleased you asked this question, is that we really keep a barrel on the prize of what can be achieved yeah. with a very open and honest conversation about how to keep the guardrails correct so that we do achieve it. Yeah. Because I think if we don't break through some of these really critical problem areas, mm -hmm we will all be missing out. And I guess when we look at those, you know, the opportunities, the benefits, even, you know, the risks in terms of maybe what you touched on with bias in, 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 that, in that sense with some of the, the benefits that we talked about, collaboration like is key in that to get everybody, the right people in the room to, to discuss their different views. You know, with that, Standards Australia is a knowledge partner um, of the Responsible AI Network and is closely collaborating with those other members to provide those responsible AI outcomes Judy, how will this collaboration then uplift that safe and ethical uh, use of AI? So, first of all, just stepping back a little yep. bit, the role you play is really critical. <laughs> and <laughs> that's no matter what the standard is. When you see an industry or a sector 
benefit from good standards, yep. you see a significant uplift in capability, in investment, in growth, in outcomes. And so I, I think that's the point we're at now with Australia is how do we rapidly uplift all of us so that that in turn uplifts the investment, mm-hmm. the education in schools, yep. et cetera, et cetera. So the role you play is really critical. The piece that is really key around the role of the the AI network, the responsible AI network, is people want a place to go to understand how they should think about artificial intelligence, how they should think about responsible artificial intelligence. And the power of it and what you are doing with your peers in that network is really practical initiatives such Mm -hmm. as workshops, webinars, reports. I went through the reports this morning on the site. They're really, really helpful and practical on specific steps companies can take or organisations can take to get going on their artificial intelligence journey and to get going in a way uh, that's responsible. So I think it's a very exciting step. The partner's already involved and my main advice to those listening would be go sign up, become a subscriber, go to the LinkedIn page and all of a sudden you will have a lot of tools at your disposal being added to every day from the best brains from each, whether it's law, standards, ethics, um, all of the various seven levers yeah. that we can pull to help us really lift our capability in artificial intelligence. So certainly that kind of, it's making it a bit more accessible to those who think it's a bit out of reach. Very accessible. Yeah. And yeah. so the, the National AI Centre has got two things. It's got the Responsible AI Network, which is all about building, working collaboratively to offer the tools and suggestions and advice and support companies and organizations to lift their capability, but also secondly, the discoverability platform, which is sort of a, right, I need to have help in this particular issue. Who could I go to to get help in that particular issue? So that sort of marketplace of how do I get help uh, is really critical. Well, it can be quite overwhelming. I think that's the thing, Yeah, you know, so having that there is essential. Mm. Um, And I guess you, you, you touched on standards and how important they are. And with that, there is a lot of noise in the kind of international and national uh, standards ecosystem. There's a lot going on. You know, the IEEE, ISO, Standards Australia are developing uh, standards uh, for AI. Ali, how are these standard bodies creating resilient standards that adopt to evolving technologies while avoiding the duplication efforts? Because they're all working towards the same thing, which is important, but avoiding everyone doing the same thing. Sure. When you specifically talk about these AI standards and ISO, basically the international standard for AI, then there is the SC42 committee, which is focusing on AI. Then that is the international view. Each country have their own standards body. In Australia, Standards Australia is representing Australian in the international uh, standard organization. Therefore, here we have a mirror committee, IT43, which is a mirror of the same SC42. Every other country, they have their own committees that they all get together and collaborate in drafting and developing these standards and eventually all together collaboratively vote and decide what will be a, an issue as international standard. While saying that th- this is the view to collaborate between all of different countries on one specific topic, which is AI. But of course, there are other standards committees which can relate to AI. For example, there is um, SC40, information management, or there is uh, SC32, which a couple of their working groups have 
focuses such as data sharing, which again relates to AI. So there are liaisons between these committees to make sure that uh, there is no gap or duplication or there is good enough alignment between these sort of relevant streams of work. Then if we go broader than that, outside of all this whole ecosystem of ISO and, and the individual country standards organizations, then there is a, like a IEEE or Sencelelec and, and so there is again a kind of official agreements as well as liaisons being assigned in order to make sure there is enough collaboration, enough share of information to, to at, at least achieve two things. There is not duplication of work and there is no contradiction in things that are being published. There is a lot of effort in order to avoid any sort of duplication in order to not causing any confusion in the market. Because if, again, uh, we are saying exactly the same thing, but from two different lenses, still it it's, can cause that yeah. sort of confusion. So lots of efforts going on to ensure there is as much as possible alignment yeah. between these organizations. I think if I can just jump yeah, in there as well. Standards are consensus-driven documents and the stakeholders that come around the table are from multiple parts of industry and government. So at their very core, they start, even though they're voluntary, they start from a harmonized approach. And so when you're talking about that on a global scale, you're talking about sharing expertise and domain knowledge to really build that foundational basis. And what happens in those situations is you get that lovely intersection of work that's all starts happening under one roof and towards one plan and in one direction. And you you actually get a harmonized approach because it's the same types of people that are working in the industry across the world. They're all communicating with each other. So actually there's this issue with duplication is not necessarily as prevalent because you're all working towards the same thing with the shared knowledge. Yeah, because I think I can imagine if there's many standards bodies developing different standards for AI, it can kind of dilute. People then get to pick and choose which one mm-hmm. they would like to, might suit their circumstances. Yeah. But I guess with standards, they are the the invisible infrastructure, I think, that, that touches all our lives. And sometimes it can be quite hard to, if you're not in the standards world and looking from the outside in, wondering what is a standard, like I don't understand how it's implemented, how it's used. So I'd be interested to, to know, um, again, back to you, Soraya, if there's any examples um, of businesses or government implementing AI standards and potentially the benefits uh, of doing so. Yeah, I need to cover up the name of the company on my (laughs) my book. (laughs) Uh, We we work with one of the big tech companies that's a global company and they have an entire department which is 100% dedicated to standards and they literally spend their time mapping against standards from regions, mapping that against law and across policy and regulation to ensure that they're always remaining competitive, but it also encourages interoperability so that you've got that layer of good use case globally. And it also means that they have something to govern themselves by. It's a really interesting take to see from a corporate, but what we do see is that because of that, they really lean into our process and they really find that the more they lean in, the more they get out of it and equally the better they're their organization runs. So there are examples that I just can't yeah. talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I might just, before I actually ask, ask yourself, Ali, I might, Judy, just because you mentioned earlier how you've worked with, with businesses, have you, do you have any examples from that, from your experience in that perspective or you can think of, I know it is off the, off the cuff, but. Uh, yeah. I mean, I come from the angle of, okay, I want to achieve something with my business. Yeah. How do I do this in a way that's consistent with my values to make sure I'm doing no harm? Mm-hmm. How do I do it in a way that's commercially successful? And so interoperability, 
how do I do this in a way that I, when I don't have the knowledge to do it? And often the first place I will look is the industry body or the industry association to say, well, who can help me understand what I need to understand to do this mm-hmm. well? What I love about the Responsible AI Network is you just, you Google Responsible AI Network and there, it's as there, a business yeah. owner, there's fantastic, helpful information which is available. The one analogy I'd like to leave on this question is it's a, it's a game that I did in a previous organization. It was a card game with different groups of people and it was testing how different cultures work together or don't. So you each start on off a table with a set of rules and all the tables have their set of rules and then halfway through, half of the table moves to the next table without knowing that the next table has a different set of rules. And it only takes one swap of the table for there to be chaos and bedlam and anger and grumpiness, amazingly, through even though they're friendly people. And so I think the the power of having standards that are consistent and aligned is that you avoid that going to the second table and realising there's a whole bunch of different rules that you Mm -hmm. have to apply with. I've played that game. It didn't didn't (laughs) end well. Yeah, it's very powerful. (laughs) And Ali, do you have any example? I know you work in uh, transport. Is there any examples that, that you might have? Not necessarily naming any companies, yep. but when I put my technologist hat on, I have been implementing AI in many different organizations the past 20 years. One of the interesting things and challenges that I can see is sometimes there is not enough confidence. What is the right balance between innovation and risk? So sometimes organizations leave some opportunities undiscovered or unexplored because just they are too wor- too much worried about some risks that are potentially n- not that important. And on the other hand, sometimes they go for things and implement things and expose themselves to unwanted risk just because they have missed some other specific views. Mm-hmm. So one of the main benefits of the standards is give that confidence and bring a word of experience of what is that right balance between these two? What is needed to watch for. In terms, Ali, of back to you again. You're yes, sure. <laughs> you're in the you're in the hot seat. But um, in terms of like your, we look at like the artificial like standards Australia's AI committee, and you're part of that committee. You've worked on standards uh, that has governance implications on the use of AI. This is a big question, so there is three parts. If anybody wants to chime in, please do. I guess those who are familiar with standards. So, firstly, could you describe for us how these governance standards work, how they are used or implemented, and finally. What are the governance implications um, for the use of AI? If you want me to repeat that again, please let me know. <laughs> or again, anyone else want to chime in? Go for it. <laughs> yes. So I will just get it started. And of course, Lyria, you have been yep. also involved a lot and, and same everyone. But basically, that specific standard, the governance implications of AI systems is basically providing some guidance for the governing bodies of those who are already using AI or thinking of implementing AI in their organization. So basically, it, it's put just focusing on the policy side, trying to make a separation between governance and management, which is a separate standard, and then um, starts from emphasizing on nothing is changing. AI is just a new tool. So still all of the previous responsibilities and frameworks, everything applies. So still the governing body is accountable for what's happening in each organization. But there are implications. There are some specific differences. 
So some of those implications that are specifically mentioned in this uh, standard is, for t- for example, about over-reliance of, on, on this sort of technologies. When, when a technology such as AI is too exciting, it looks like to be working quite well, then there is over-reliance and that's something needs to be considered when you are updating or creating new policies. The other one is potential of explainability requirements. Previously, when we didn't have AI, things was done by humans. There wasn't this sort of expectations with the complications that happens at the AI systems. And there are more. I don't want to list everything. So that is one thing. Then there is another section of this standard, which is basically giving an overview of the AI systems and what are the key differences, why this is different from everything else. So it gives a board view to what is AI that does not necessarily redefine AI because again, all of the definitions are in yet another standard with, with all of the details, but a board view of what is AI, what are we talking about? And then what are the key differences? Some of those main key differences between AI and, and more conventional IT systems. One of them is, for example, these systems can kind of autonomously make decisions and this sort of the logic for this decision is not explicitly coded by humans. This is being learned from data. Therefore, it's kind of just an objective is given to the system. The specific, the explicit parts of the logic is not defined. It is learned from the data. So it can be something that is not previously known. And the other thing is some of these AI systems, they have the capability to adapt themselves and change across the, the lifetime. So if you implement something today, its behavior after a couple of months is not necessarily the same as it was in the beginning. So these are a couple of interesting things that are being discussed and explained in this standard. And, and there are more. There, there is a specific section that explains all of the relation to other standards, but I will leave it at there. And can I add to that? That is really helpful. So I, as, yeah. a, <laughs> as a board director, I'm already spending time on health and safety, privacy, non-discrimination, ensuring ensuring inclusion. Mm-hmm. I've already worked, we've already been part of the company building up its muscle of being able to detect, understand, prevent, mitigate in all of these areas. I'm also increasingly focused on supply chain, what my suppliers are doing, how they're going on privacy or yep. inclusion or on zero emissions or on whatever it is. So mm-hmm. I'm really getting to know my supply chain mm-hmm at the same time as helping it be resilient and yes. all these things, uh, at the same time as thinking about the business. So I've already got a set of muscles as a director that the organisation is good at, Yep, is getting better at mm-hmm. and can use. The question I most ask as a director around is what is different? How is this different? How do we need to work on the muscle to adapt it exactly. so that we are doing our job as directors in that context? The second question I ask, though, and it's also where standards are helpful, is how can we use artificial intelligence to help us excel in our environmental goals, our social goals, our governance goals? Mm -hmm. How can it actually improve what we're doing significantly or give greater reach and accessibility to our products Mm -hmm. and services? Or make sure that we are being transparent in real time in our reporting and able to understand and see the shifts and changes and address them. So to me, this area of what's different and how you as a director can apply that to the muscles you've already built is the power of a good standard. It's great to be able to get the, the standard and you know how it is beneficial for organizations and for boards as, mm-hmm. as well. I guess then from 
your point of view again in terms of the well more around the supply chain. Yeah. You just mentioned the supply chain and resilience around the supply chain. Many companies are using um, third-party AI systems that are developed by large vendors. And even if that, you can kind of already see the risk. They're not developing them in-house. But it's one of the things, how do we A, ensure that there is trust? And is it the case where there are moves to develop a trust mark? that will certify those AI products of those vendors. Mm. So I'm going to start with a little story about Trustmarks. Yes. Is that right? <laughs> so Christmas time, mum says, we need to go and buy some smoked salmon. So we're off to the supermarket. We go, we fight, come against the smoked salmon and I go, oh, there you go, mum. You've got to buy that one because that's Marine Stewardship Council Trustmark. We know it's yeah. all good. We know it's not getting dolphins, etc. She said, no, not buying that. And I said, why is that, Mum? And she said, no, because they're Norwegian and I'm boycotting whales. You know, they, they kill yes. whales and I'm boycotting whales. So the whole Trustmark dynamic yeah. <laughs> is quite complex and not mm-hmm. easy. And there's a lot of learnings, whether it's fair trade or washing machine energy rating systems or fridge rating systems that we as a collective can learn from. Yeah. Um, my ultimate view is that the those accountable for deploying artificial systems Mm. and the impact of those is the company. It is the directors, it is the board, it is the organisation. And you use, just as you do in any other part of your business, suppliers to help you do that. So how do we help board, how do boards and CEOs and executives get comfortable with the credentials and trust credentials of their suppliers is a really critical question. We know that there are precedents in Europe, places such as Denmark, where they're already exploring trust marks and already piloting different options for mm-hmm. trust marks. I know Data61 are looking at a, a sort of a dual trust mark that both consumers can trust AI systems, but at the same time, B2B supply chains, you can look into the B2B supply chain to yep. trust what's in there. But I want to come back to the salmon example. We could spend a lot of time trying to find a really good, appropriate trust mark yep. in the myriad of different AI applications and yep. options and capabilities. Hopefully, I might be able to solve it for us. And yep. I'm really excited about the promising work at Data61, but equally I think the standards approach is a good tried and tested. You can sit your work in the nest of a great set of standards and be confident. I might just come in on the, the trust mark idea too. AI I think is even harder than salmon <laughs> <laughs> because I think, you know, that there are clear criteria that can be set they're clearly measurable about things like that. And I don't know the salmon market that well, but just to take the egg example, you know, number of hens per hectare, you know, you can measure these things, yep. they can be done and you can say, yes, we are certified, they count our hens, <laughs> they measured our farm, right? And even there, you know, even when you have something as specific as that, are the gates always open or were they only open when the inspector comes, right? So there's still, you know, yes. if you look at the the sorts of things that standards for AI do, they are not like counting chickens, mm. right? It is a lot more, let's put it this way, you can comply with them with a with a full heart yes. and a real commitment to what the standards are trying mm-hmm. to do and take it really, really seriously and, and you know, really think through for our organisation and our context, whether we're building it ourselves or relying on a supplier, how do we, yep. you know, achieve this, Thing, right? You know, how do we do that? That yep. the standards telling us to do, and they thoughtfully implement it, and so forth. Or you could 
potentially, and I'm not encouraging anyone to do this, <laughs> but you could potentially use exactly the same standards documents and go, what is the minimum we need to do so that someone will sign us off as yeah. having done X? And you will get a very different outcome from those two approaches. So I think the challenges of something like a mark mm-hmm. is you can only ever certify up to that what is the minimum we need to do to get someone to sign off on this level. It's very hard to get a mark for we took it really seriously. Mm. But is it the case that with the minimum, is it still enough better than not having anything? It might be certainly probably better than not having anything, <laughs> Yeah, you know, because there will still be stuff that has been done yeah. in accordance with that minimum. I guess my challenge, and it's my provocation, um, <laughs> but I guess the challenge is, you know, again, how consumers read it, right? Yes. If we're, if we're struggling with salmon, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, then when it comes to, you know, meeting criteria, like we have thought about what kinds of biases are problematic in the context of use of this particular application. Yeah. And we have taken measures to avoid. When it's saying things like that, it is, and there's a lot of how you read that, then what we don't want to do is mislead consumers. Because if we start putting marks out there that, you know, leave aside B2B, the business to business, where maybe there can be more useful information and more detailed information contributed. But if it's simple, like a little stamp, and if it's consumer facing, I guess there's risks that some of the things that get those stamps will still cause harms. So I absolutely agree with that. And in fact, I think where we're headed with artificial intelligence is is a bit like the whole footprint conversation around carbon or modern slavery or whatever it is, which is it's the impact of it that is the most important and that companies and boards and CEOs need to be most accountable for. And the impact, not only intentional but unintentional because the system keeps changing and adjusting, and that impact is increasingly lessened, that you can measure a company's determination to lessen the impact or change the impact or reduce emissions or cut modern slavery or whatever it is. So to me, this sort of concept of an AI footprint where every company has to be able to say, this is how we use AI, this is the impact of the AI, these are the measures we're using at the board to monitor that it's not doing harm. Those sort of levers are very, very powerful in driving change. So it's kind of like with ESG in, in yeah, that sense. It's very it's similar, similar to ESG. To that approach. And again, using the same muscle that's now been built for 30 years, whether it's health yep. and safety or privacy mm-hmm. or whatever. But the AI footprint concept is one where having every company be able to fully understand the impact their products and services are having or yep. their, their use of AI is having and on a path to improve that, I think would be a powerful shift. I guess more so looking at the kind of all the other technologies that are being impacted by AI as well. Like we've got like rapid technology advancements with biotechnology, big data, robotics. So they're all impacting the way that we live. And Liria, in terms of what happens when we add AI into the mix and how do we ensure standards, regulation and practices evolve with these changes? So I think evolution is hard, right? So so if things change, words on a page are going to have a meaning based on the understanding at the time those words were written. To my mind, I think standards can afford to be more technologically specific than a lot of other mechanisms. In other words, standards are where you can say, when you're doing this quite specific thing, here's how you get to the destination, right? Here's how you get to good governance. Here's how you get to, you know, a management system, whatever it might be. And you can go a lot deeper. So 
standards for artificial intelligence can help companies, for example, implement a high-level goal like we don't want to discriminate against people um, and really understand what kinds, you know, how to think through that, what that means in the context of an AI system, what kinds of evaluations they can put into place to measure what they want to measure in their context and so forth. And it can get really, really specific. That means it won't last forever. Yes. Right? So that means those standards will need to change. But that's kind of okay, right? Because standards, you know, these committees will continue to exist and they'll continue to be new drafts and new versions and we'll keep moving with, with the times. What that enables is for other, for lack of a better word, regulatory mechanisms to be a lot more long lasting. So you can actually have, if you're looking at the level of what parliaments pass, like statutes that sort of put in requirements, they don't need to go down to that technical nitty gritty. They can pitch it at a higher level. And you can have, for example, regulators say, in terms of achieving this very broad statutory requirement, implementing this technical standard in the context to which it's applied yep. is considered by us as the regulator yep. to comply with that high level standard. So you can do, you can play it both ways. Mm-hmm. You can have something that is long lasting, that is principles based, that is not tied to technological language and that is long lasting and, and so forth. But you can also have the guidance evolve because the standards can evolve and they can be updated. And the regulator can sit in between the two to say that this is, this is the technical detail you might need to actually know what to do, we will consider that to meet a maybe slightly more vague but also more um, future-proof legislative requirement. Just going to add one more point, which also slightly relates to the previous discussion about the salmon and and the trust. (laughs) I'm getting a bit hungry. (laughs) Just wanted to say, you know, the, the importance of awareness and education. It's important that the overall society knows more about AI and all of these implications. We definitely have these standards and we keep updating them as as frequently as possible and and all of the efforts. But at the end of the day, that weak point of the chain is the the humans, us Mm -hmm. who are operating it, using it, building it. And still, we don't have that enough awareness and education in the in the society. And what it causes potentially, for example, over-reliance on a trust mark. We have experienced this in the cybersecurity, for example. For many, many years, we have been putting regulations. We have, have had lots of discussions. We have a lot of tools which are getting every day updated, etc. But still, we are not completely safe. And the most recent approach is basically let's go back and train people and educate them enough so they know how to protect themselves or how to use these all of the digital tools and this whole digitized life, how to live this life and still stay safe in the cyber world. So the same thing needs to happen about AI. Then we have a little bit more confidence about, okay, even if these rapid advancements are going ahead and and update on standards takes maybe a couple of months, then at least there is a bit more safety. And I fully agree. So I think that education piece and people's understanding helps in a huge way. I actually did a project a number of years ago now with the New South Wales Department of Education, which asked that exact question. If we're thinking about the sort of the education system, so this is up to the end of secondary school, what is it 
that people need to know about artificial intelligence. And there's a lot of, you know, general sweeping stuff that, you know, can be said, everyone needs to know how to code, whatever. It wasn't about that. It was actually about if we are going to be citizens and consumers in a society where we are interacting with tools that are trying to potentially gauge what we might do and then manipulate us to do something different in accordance with someone else, you know, whoever programmed, whatever. Um, if we are going to be operating in a world where these systems are all around us and affect what choices we get shown and so forth, we need to understand enough about those systems to be able to navigate back. We need to understand enough as citizens to know when we might want to vote or not vote for a government, in part among many of the other issues that will influence that decision about how accountable they are for their own decisions around yep. things like artificial intelligence. So I absolutely agree that that education is essential. As far as I know, there is no education for AI standard. Perhaps um, that can be added to the list. <laughs> <laughs> Soraya? <laughs> and to that point, is, is there any structured training to learn about standards and how to implement them without working in an organisation? I feel like Lyria's been looking at my to-do list this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so funny you say that. Uh, later this year, there'll be an AI management system standard being released. And that is very much a practical principles-based behavioral standard. So that talks to how you interact with your AI, doesn't have the technical detail like you were discussing earlier. And one of the key things we're talking about and the key value from that standard is really going to come from implementation and education. So it is something that we are very, very actively working on and have a lot of intention to help support people and support businesses in learning what, what is the standard? Why is it important to me? And how can I implement it? And how can I make my life easy by implementing it? And actually, once we're able to make that gap between all the stakeholders sitting around and building a fantastic standard and then people being able to practically adopt it and use it, I think that's when we'll really see the benefits in this space. Yeah, and, and I worked on that one. And I've got to say, I like management system standards mm -hmm. because it's like a jigsaw puzzle, as it was right. explained to me right at the start of that exercise. So in other words, you were talking about all the different dimensions that, that organizations have to deal with. Management system standards sit together. So in other words, there is a parallel sort of across areas where you can link in, you know, what you're doing in terms of, for example, privacy and what you're doing in terms of, for example, AI, and they're structured in the same way. So instead of, if you like, having to get on top of an entirely different way of doing things, mm -hmm. you're just adding to an existing process. And just on the work then that's being done with the Responsible AI Network and even with the Artificial Intelligence Standards Committee, how do they engage with each other, both of those? Um, so I might throw that to you. They're completely intertwined. It's at least from a Standards Australia perspective. I mean, the work we do with RAIN is incredible and we're really seeing and reaping the benefits of just being able to communicate and provide practical tools and education and I think accessibility from a, a vast array of brilliant thinkers in the room. So that's been amazing. And then actually being able to bring the people who write the standards into the room to help work through those challenges and questions. And you know, a lot of the questions from today were taken from the previous workshop. This was, this whole discussion is basically what the audience want to know. 
And that is a perfect example of how we're able to use the committee members to inform what we do within RAIN. And I guess my final question, because you mentioned the workshops um, for everybody around the table, what is one uh, takeaway from each of you, a takeaway from both the last two workshops and our conversation today that you'd want our listeners to know? Might start off with you, Judy. Sure. Be curious. Yeah. <laughs> um, get yourself a piece of paper, create a Venn diagram. On the left-hand side circle, put your business's most tricky problems mm-hmm. or opportunities. On the right-hand side, do some research through the Responsible AI Network on possible AI solutions. And then in the middle, identify the one or two most impactful AI outcomes that could help your business. And then work with peers in the Responsible AI Network to learn and explore and experiment within a value set that's important to you. And if you need the time to do that, use generative AI to automate something, <laughs> free up an hour and sit yourself down and, and you be go. curious and, and just get going. Well, thank you, Judy. Sraya? I would start by saying don't be fearful. The AI community and marketplace is believed to go to over $400 billion in value by 2027, according to Forbes. That's enormous. If this is a, a big space and it's not all scary. Great rules and great guardrails will help people. People will still want to get around that. And that's why you've got standards and the people in this room and other rooms that are doing great work, such as RAIN, to help protect people and keep them safe. Thanks, Raya. Ali, one key takeaway. Yeah. Okay. So I would say, so AI systems are different. We don't need to reinvent the wheel in order to be, you know, ethical, safe, etc. Mm-hmm. We don't need to do the whole thing from beginning. We just need pay to pay attention to that difference. However, it's simple, but but it's not easy. It's quite complex. That that small difference brings a lot of complexity. And again, as I said in the beginning, I understand people, the majority of people want to do good. So you can do good on yourself and try and error and learn it the hard way. Or you can rely on all of these collective, international, multidisciplinary, you know, all of the experts work together. It takes months to bring people from many different uh, subject matter areas together to build these sort of standards or guidelines. You can rely at least on that and, and leverage to some extent. Finish it up. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about yeah. AI standards, actually, there's two. I'll do two. <laughs> One is um, as a non-expert, and I I don't have a, a computer science background, for yep. example, working in that interdisciplinary community was really helpful to me in helping me understand what AI was, but also all of the different dimensions and types and, and methods and me- models and, and what have you. And we tried to put that all into documents. So, so it is a good, it is a good place to sort of go to for that. But the second is, I think there's a lot of, a lot of sort of unanimous agreement that goes nowhere that AI should be wonderful, right? You know, beneficent, fair, sustainable, accountable, transparent. I could keep going. And everyone sort of thinks, yeah, 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 that's all great. Yeah. I think standards is an important part of the journey on the how. And that is a really crucial piece of the puzzle. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you all for sharing your insights and joining us today. I want to thank our guests for providing us with great insights into the world of standards and the need to adapt to ensure we remain relevant in areas such as critical and emerging technologies. Check out our show notes if you want to learn more about the role of standards in critical and emerging technologies and the standards development process. 